Hi everyone and welcome to a new episode of Paratalk and on this episode I'm joined by Ben of the YouTube channel 401 Files. Now some of you may be familiar with Ben's channel and some of you may not but I thought I'd get Ben on an episode because he's he's a kind of boots on the ground. He goes out there and he investigates and he looks for things. So without further ado let me bring in Ben and we'll we'll get this show started. Hi Ben. Hi thank you for having me. That's all right. How are you? All right? Yeah, I'm really good. Actually, um, I'm just coming over the uh, the back end now of, of COVID. So, yeah, I'm feeling a lot better. I feel like I'm through the worst of it now, but um, it's been a rough two weeks. Oh, yeah, been there, had that. Not very nice. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it kind of it does knock you out a little bit. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so anyway, uh, 401 files. I think before we jump into this episode, um, Give give the listeners an idea of what your channel, your YouTube channel, is about, and 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 how it how it came about. Yeah, so um, growing up, I had some really interesting encounters that, um, unbeknown to me at the time, was changing my life and my my outlook on life, and and you know realizing that everything that we've been taught to believe to be real um, can be questioned. Not everything is as it appears, and um, yeah, so I grew up with this fascination of the paranormal. UFOs and extraterrestrials and um it always stuck with me like it was always a talking point between friends and it was always an icebreaker with new people I would meet so growing up naturally when YouTube came about I just decided that I would venture out into some of these uh, these known locations that we call hotspots places that have high reports of strangeness things from UFO sightings extraterrestrials on the ground um, and other sorts of things like paranormal as well and cryptid. So, yeah, my channel basically was set up with that in mind to get out to these locations and try and figure out what the hell is going on. Um, speak to people, spend the night there and um, just be um, as much of a researcher into the unknown as I possibly could. Mm. So I'm I'm wondering, right. So you set your channel up and you decide that you're going to get out there literally in the field and yeah. do some research. How did you feel? on your first ever your first ever investigation you go out there because you literally go out there on your own you're in these you know right, yeah. for us big woods <clears throat> forests um how did yeah. that make you feel were you nervous i i guess maybe not as nervous as someone else doing this for the first time you see I, i've been in the army as well so I, i've kind of um i've had a taste of what it's like to spend nights in the woods so that that was a big help but nonetheless when you when you're going out into these places that have reports of um, upright walking bipedal creatures that shouldn't exist <laughs> or people that have been abducted in these areas there's nothing that can prepare you for that and um whether you believe or you don't believe when it gets to four o'clock in the morning and there's just you sat there on the forest floor uh, with some of these accounts running through your mind it, it's a terrifying um experience for sure yeah i i always think back um i read a book on canic chase and all the weird things that apparently go on there and I think it's yeah. like an area of what forty-five miles square or something like that. It's quite a big place. That's For us, right. It's yeah. Quite a big place. Yeah. And um, you know, you've got your you've got your pigmen and you've got your apparitions and you've got your poltergeists and and there's pretty much everything goes on there. When you investigate a place, how much of the information that you know you, you read and research do you take on board? Or do you prefer to go somewhere that you don't know anything about it and think, well, I, I know it's got a there's something meant to be going on here, but you don't front load yourself. How do you go about that? Yeah, so it's like a double-edged sword, really. I mean, it's it's always nice to know some of the reports that are coming from these areas, but at the same time, you don't want you don't want to build up a, a biased 
um, in, within your head because the minute you hear something, if you're in a big cat area, you're going to think it's a big cat. And the same can be said for um, a cryptid. You know, if you think that a lot of reports are coming from this area that are cryptid related, the, the first time you hear a snapped stick or um, some kind of weird knock on a tree, you're going to think it's a Bigfoot or um, or something else. So it's, it's, it's really difficult to go into these areas as a clean slate. But I always try and do that as much as I can wherever I go. A ghost hunter has a ghost hunting kit and uh you know yeah. and we all have our little kits and little bags that we carry around with ourselves mine isn't very big but it's i like to keep my stuff simple uh do you have a kit do you have a do you have a sort of a setup that you always take with you so so my kit if, if that's what we could actually even call it it's, it's really really basic i mean i have um an emf reader which is an electric mag electric magnetic field reader it picks up in, in anomalies um that are in the area Things that can't be given off by humans as well. So this isn't me setting this electromagnetic reader off. This is something within the area giving off a high pulse of um, electricity. So I take that. Um, I've got a laser pointer, which is a really strong laser pointer. It's got um, different modes on there as well. And I usually use that for, for targeting things that are in the sky, like maybe passing over, not planes. Yeah. <laughs> so I must stress this. Um, but strange things that I've seen in the sky... Um, yeah, it's, it's good for pointing other people in that direction is the laser pointer. Other than that, I used to I used to take um, a spirit board with me, but I've long given up on that and don't dabble with that with that anymore. So <laughs> that's out of the, the kit bag, so to speak. But other important bits of kit, I would say, are just learning things like CE5, which is a meditation that can be used to, people say, um, calling beings from another planet. Um, do I believe in that fully? I've never really had something happen to me while doing that that would say it works 100%. But I have had strange things happening. Um, but yeah, just just things like that and having your wits about you is is pretty much all you need. I was going to ask you, regarding uh, being out in the woods and at night and all those things, have you ever had an encounter with something in the sky that you couldn't sort of understand uh didn't make sense at the time and then you put it down to well maybe it's my imagination or maybe it's a satellite or have you seen things that uh just don't make sense i have yeah um so i've been doing this a very very long time like i said growing up um i was exposed to the paranormal in a really really active house and then i had something that i would say was actually terrestrial happened to me when i was about 10 or 11 years old that actually went viral as well that story um from that age when i was 10 or, 20, 10 or 11 years old I was, I was sorry i was making that point there to let everybody know that i've yeah. never really seen a ufo up until about last year this time last year i was um i was at bempton bempton cliffs it's a really well-known hotspot for strange sightings, things like UFOs, extraterrestrials. And so me and my brother had gone up to Bempton Cliffs, and the idea was just to pull up a few chairs, have a flask of coffee, and sit there and look out um, on the coast for anything that may be untoward or unexplainable. After um, a few hours of sat there just, you know, chewing the fat between each other, we decided that we'd get up and we'd go a bit further down the coast to a place called Flamborough Head, which is also another hotspot for strange reports of things in the sky. Again, same scenario, we set up the chairs, drinking the coffee, and it started to get cold, so we decided that we'll call it a night. We packed everything up and we're heading back towards my brother's van, which is up the main track at Flamborough Head. You pass the lighthouse on the right-hand side, and at the top is the car park. Just as we turn around and we get halfway up the track, my brother says, did you see that? 
I, I kind of knew what he was talking about. I mean, you've got to imagine we're the only ones there now at this point. Everybody has left because not really, really many people have a reason to be there at this time of night. So there's just me and my brother. He says, did you see that? And what I saw was two amber lights blink out. So I'm assuming that that's what he was talking about. And I said, why? What was it? He said, keep looking over in that direction. Just keep looking. So I was watching. And sure enough, there was four amber lights in a line. Huge amber lights that blinked on and blinked off. Logically, that isn't a plane to me. But I thought, right, let's just keep observing this and see which way the line of travel is. And the lights blinked on again. Sure enough, off to my right. So the lights were moving from 12 to, say, 3 o'clock. I watched them blink out again thinking that they would now be at like six o'clock moving in in that arc, they came back on themselves. And it was really, really weird because the impression I got watching these lights in the sky was that if this is a pilot, this pilot seems really unsure of himself. He doesn't know where he's going because it kept going back and forth, back and forth. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we heard this fighter plane come screeching over our head. And this thing whatever it may have been these four amber lights they shot out to sea and must have been about 15 20 miles out to sea within the blink of an eye and then shortly after that this fire plane screeched over our heads out to sea in the same direction and as we stood there scratching our heads thinking what the hell because this thing moved silently there was no noise whatsoever and the way that it just was out at sea in the blink of an eye with no sound was it was the weirdest sight to, to see because it just didn't make sense but we knew what we knew what we've just seen and so we stood there when we're talking like what the hell like what is the chances of a fighter plane coming over at the same time that we see this thing and how the hell did it get out to see that quick and where did it go the next thing as we're speaking amongst ourselves directly above us was a little cloud it was literally the only cloud in the sky that night just a very faint wispy cloud these four amber lights emerged quite eerily from out of this cloud that was directly above us. Now, we never saw this thing come back. We never saw it. We saw it go out to sea, and we saw this fighter plane go out in the same direction as if it was chasing it. But we never saw these four amber lights make the journey back. So I have no idea how they appeared above our heads again. But they flashed on maybe two or three times, moving away from the cloud, and then vanished completely. And we never saw it again that night. I've been back so many times in the hopes of trying to make sense of this, even trying to capture it on camera or I'll see it again with the naked eye. I've never seen it since, but that was mind-blowing to me. Have you, from your experience, did you, afterwards, did you find that uh, you had any other strange occurrences in your life after that sighting? Uh, no, like I said, this only happened um, last year. It was quite a recent sighting. Um, but no, not not really um, any weird sightings after that. Interesting. I mean, things like that. There's so much stuff going up on in the sky, and we, you know, we don't. Yeah. We very rarely look up. Most people are looking at their phones all day, and you don't look up. That's right. And whatever's going on, you're not going to see. Yeah, and another great point as well is that my brother is quite a skeptic, whereas I'm quite open-minded, and I will yeah. think outside the box. My brother will just refuse to believe anything. It doesn't matter matter what it is. And I, I could tell straight away by his reaction that he was just as taken back by this thing as I was. That really got me excited. The fact that he was engaging in a conversation about something that I knew he would usually laugh at. It was almost like, hi, ah, you see, now you believe. Now you believe, don't you? But um, yeah, it was just that great moment of you've seen it. I'm I'm so glad that you've seen this with me because you of all people would never have believed me had I said I've seen this. 
Did you research that area afterwards to see if any other people had had any experiences there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, it turns out that these four amber lights are seen quite um, quite heavily in the area. Something that we never knew before. Like we, we knew that UFOs had been reported from that area. But it was just that. That was the description that we had to go on, UFOs. Yeah. Nobody was talking about tubes or disc shapes. And so when we saw these four amber lights and we started researching it, sure enough, everybody was seeing these four amber lights. So we'd obviously seen what, what was being reported from that area. Yeah, I was going to say it leads on quite nicely to my next question I was going to ask you, and that would be when you go to these places, and for anyone listening, Ben does go to some really sort of secluded places out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, you have an, maybe a feeling or an experience maybe there, but have you ever felt when you've come home that you've possibly brought something home with you? I have, yeah, and this is more of a paranormal type um, experience. I was out filming for one of the videos on the channel and I'd come across this really old church. doesn't look like it was, it was used, but not heavily used. You know, there's not weddings being put on every week there or anything like that. There was, you know, you go inside, there's mouse poo on the sides and webs everywhere. Yeah. So it was a very, very out of the way church. As I'm rooting around in this church, because I'm fascinated by old architecture and things like that anyway. So I'm, I'm just looking around inside the church and I noticed that there was um, a grate in the floor. And I lifted the grate up and there was a tunnel. Now, I've heard about these tunnels before. Um, they're called priest holes or bolt holes. Yeah. Yeah. And back when the church was being prosecuted, some of these priests would dive down into these holes and escape the premises before being attacked or, or killed. So mm -hmm. I, I was really excited at this point and I thought, possibly this is a priest hole. It was a clear tunnel that went under the ground and led outside of the, the church premises, or, or so I thought. So... I thought, well, I'm not going to climb in there and go making my way down the tunnel to see where it comes out. What I'll do is I'll go roughly outside in the direction where this tunnel led off to, and I'll see if I can find the exit. So this led me into a wooded area outside of the church. And it was in this wooded area that I started to find birds, bones, feathers everywhere, as if there was like a, a kill by some kind of a predator, a fox or a, um, some other predator. But what was really strange to me is that these pigeons had no heads. That was the first thing I noticed. I thought, well, this is very, very strange. Like, the, literally, the whole body of the pigeon is intact, but the head's been removed. Mm. And then once I noticed that, I saw that there'd been a makeshift altar wedged between the two trees. Someone was there practicing some kind of witchcraft, which really made the hairs stand up on the back of my neck. And as I'm filming this and I'm sharing my thoughts with my audience about how weird this is and you know some somebody's obviously coming back here on a night to practice this stuff in this in this wooded area it's, it's a freaky experience to to come across that i noticed that on the floor was some kind of a makeshift necklace made from teeth now that really 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 scared me what, what um, kind of teeth like animal teeth or human teeth I want to say animal teeth. For me, saying human teeth doesn't seem right, and it seems very far-fetched. No. But it was a bracelet or a, um, a necklace of teeth. Someone had obviously spent a lot of time making whatever this thing was, and, and there it was on the floor left behind. So as I'm talking about this, the wind picks up, there's a horse in the nearby, nearby field that starts going crazy, and it just it, everything fell off about being in this area. And another thing as well to add, there were stolen urns from the from the graveyard nearby that had been smashed and spread all over in this area. So somebody was stealing actually from the graveyard 
bringing this stuff into this area, doing whatever kind of um, seance or witchcraft that they were working on. And here I am, stood amongst it, thinking, what the hell? Yeah. So I didn't touch anything. I thought, I'm not touching anything. I've, I've read too many books. I've seen too many horror films where these things can be passed on to you. And I just left. And I came home, and all the way home, I was thinking about like what went wrong in this person's life that would lead someone into a forest to do this stuff. Does their family know they're in, into this? And there's just so many questions that came from discovering all these things in the woods. Um, and it played on my mind for a long time. Well, when I got back for like the next three or four weeks, strange things started to happen in the house. Like I was woken up through the middle of the night with banging downstairs, and I I thought, well. I live in the middle of nowhere. I live near near fields. That could be a mouse. It could be it could be a rat. So I set up the, the camera downstairs, and the spoon. There was a spoon in the bowl on the floor. I'd been eating some cereal in the living room and not put it in the in the washing up bowl. The spoon on the video when I played it back was going round in a circle within the bowl, but there was nothing there moving it. That was really strange to me. There's no windows open. There's no draft coming through a door. There's no animals there moving or licking out of the bowl. Nothing. Just the spoon going round the edge in a circle. So that really freaked me out. Obviously, that's not normal. Um, yeah. I started to put cameras up elsewhere in the house and taps would be turning on by themselves. I'd leave the bathroom, I'd go downstairs and I, I would be, you know yourself, you make sometimes a conscious decision of turning the tap off or checking the heating, making sure the doors are locked. These are just things that we normally make conscious yeah. decisions of. But yeah, the taps would be running. I'd go back up, I'd switch the tap off, go back downstairs, come up, it'd be back on. This lasted for about three or four weeks, and I put that down to me finding whatever I discovered in that woods. I don't know what kind of a message that was trying to send me, if any at all. Um, and luckily for me, it did stop. I didn't have to get anybody else in to intervene. That was the only time I felt like, if any time, something maybe did follow me back. So when you go into these places, um, more so with places like that, or someone says, oh, this place is haunted, or there's a poltergeist, or there's some weird stuff like that going on. Do you do any um, yeah. kind of protection? Like, uh, have you got some sort of uh, prayer that you say, or do you burn sage, or, or you know, all these kind of things that you can do? Do you do any of that, or do you just sort of, uh, you know, go in confidently and think? In all know, honesty, no, in all honesty, I really, really should. Um, I should learn more about that and, and protect myself as, as best I can. But in all honesty, I don't. I go there um, half expecting not to find anything. Um, I know that's not the, probably the best way to, to approach these things. But I go there with the camera and, you know, if I find something, great. If I don't, I don't. But, yeah, no, I, I don't protect myself in, in ways like that. Has there been a time when you've been in the forest, deep in the forest, and it's getting late, the light's dropping, getting dark under the canopy and you suddenly feel that you're being followed. I have had that experience. I think I think most people who've ever spent a night in the woods on their own will have had that experience. And yeah. I, I always chalk that down to the fact that, you know, when we strip everything back, we are animals. And being out in the woods at nighttime on your own is a very vulnerable position to be in. So obviously our senses are all heightened straight away. We're on alert mm. right yeah. off the bat. And that can easily make us start to think that we see things off in the distance. We can hear noises off to our left. You know, this all these heightened senses can create illusions within our own head and stuff. And I'm not to, that's not to say that things don't happen in the woods. You know, that's not to say that people aren't being watched or followed, because I truly believe that in some cases people are. There are things out there that I believe we don't fully understand. I'm just saying that most people will feel um, a bit edgy 
a bit like they're being watched or they're being followed or, you know, it's just a natural thing that will happen. Have you ever had your name called when you're out on your own? No, I haven't, but I'll tell you a, a story. So my name's never specifically been said, ever. But there was a time, so I've been building um, a bushcraft shelter okay, out yeah. on the North Yorkshire Moors, which is like a 528 square mile area of moorland, woodland, lakes, etc. And so I've, I've been building this shelter where I can go operate and you know spend the night, spend a few nights even. And I was drifting off one night when I heard Siri on my phone come to life and say something as i'm waking up i'm just i'm just catching the back end of what siri said so i didn't really i didn't really have time to catch what siri had said but i thought well that was interesting because siri's still clearly visible on my phone that that's being triggered by something or someone while i've been asleep so i set the camera up and i thought right I'll, i'll try and drift back off and siri said he's here i don't know who siri was talking to or who siri was trying to alert but it said he's here. Now was was Siri referring to me, pointing out to yeah. other people, "Look, Ben's here," or was Siri trying to warn me, "Look, he's here," meaning someone else in the woods? I, I don't know, but it was a very creepy experience. And I think after that, I packed my, my things up and um, left the woods in the early hours of the morning. What would you say was your most um, active investigation? What would you say was the, the most things were happening that this isn't just coincidence? It's got to be places like the North Yorkshire Moors where I spend most of my time. Um, lots of things that keep happening there. Uh, it's normal to find the occasional dead carcass when you're out and you're hiking or you're camping in these places. But very rarely will you find a dead deer. You know, you might you might find one, you might find two, but I found a few dead deer now that that take extremely long lengths of time to decompose. And in some cases, there's no maggots. The decomposition doesn't even happen. It's just like these things have died. There's no signs of injury, no no throat being ripped out or blood wound. It's just like these these deer have fallen down dead one day with no signs of decomposition. There's no maggots on the scene. It's almost like no other animal will go near them. Now, I don't know why that is, but it's happening in a very small area. In an area that has other weird things, a lot of people talk about these weird tree structures. Some people believe these to be um, signals for territory, um, markers for directional use. I don't know what they are. People talk about them. I just go out there and investigate. But these things are happening in a very, very small area. And it's like you've just said there, it gets to a point where it's almost, how much does this have to carry on before I say this is not a coincidence? Yeah. Um, And in the same area as well where where I'm finding these discoveries, if you go back a few years, like, well, to the 90s, there was a guy called Tony Dodd. Uh, you may have heard of Tony Dodd, who yes. was investigating cattle mutilations, but also as well human mutilations. And very similar to what Tony was finding, in a very small area, he may have found five dead badgers, six dead deers, two dead foxes, and 17 dead crows. It was just a large number of animals that had died in a very small area. It's just very strange. Have you found that uh, some of your experiences, uh, I don't know if you kind of do a like a chart or whatever, or when you have an experience, you put it into a log or, or, or however you catalog stuff, but have you found that a lot of these experiences that you're having when you're out in the wild uh, happen near water? Yeah, that is definitely a key denominator, is water is always... 
um, either nearby or present at the scene. So water is a, a big player in things when it comes to strange reports. Um, mm. But there's many different things like that. Um, time of day is one. Weather conditions is another. There's so many different things that, you know, if you look back through the cases of weird reports, these these key elements always seem to be present. So what would you say makes... I mean, there's different areas. We've got lots of different places around here. As I said earlier, Canic Chase is just a complete bag of bizarre. But what would you think that yeah. uh, makes these places paranormal? What do you think is actually happening there? I, in all honesty, I'm really not sure. I mean, military bases as well. That's, a, that's another big indicator is that having a military base close by, you look at um, Canic Chase, there's a military base there. You look at Rendlesham Forest, there's a military yeah. base there. You look at Bempton, there's a disused military base there. This is another indicator as well, is that a lot of these areas where strange reports are coming from have in close proximity either an active military base or a disused military base. But either way, there's been some military um, presence there at some point. Now, is that something to do with the strange reports that are coming in? I'm really not sure, but it, again, goes back to that whole, when does it become too much of a coincidence? With uh, military bases, and uh, some of those bases are still active, when you're doing your investigations and, uh, you know, into the in forests, some of those forests do border on bases. Have you ever had run-ins with security who aren't interested in what you're doing? They just want you out of there straight away. I have, and I'm I'm really, really proud to say this next one. So on my channel, um, I've got a video on there where I actually um, I got into Randlesham Forest. For anybody that doesn't know, Randlesham Forest is the notorious location, the notorious site of the famous 1980 UFO occurrence that happened over two days. And I went down to Rendlesham Forest. The plan was just to do a bit of video filming within the woods. But taking the long journey there and being a huge fan of that that case for such a long time, um, curiosity got the better of me. I ended up getting inside the base at Rendlesham at Woodbridge. And I was running through the hangars. You know, these are the famous hangars where in 1980 yeah. people report, reported UFOs shining lasers through the roof and, 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 and scouring the area for something. Well, I was running through all of these bunkers and I tried to eventually get over over to the um, comms tower. I think that's what they call it. Comms control tower. tower. Or watch control tower. tower. Yeah. That's right. That's right. I tried to get to the control tower where obviously you can imagine in 1980, they, them, there is the place would, that would have took the uh, the call from the gate. So it's a very yeah, the heart, yeah. key point. Yeah, that's right. So I was excited to get to there. Um, but it was just a bridge too far. Um, the minute I stepped onto a certain patch of land and started to crawl my way across, a military 4 before came speeding down the runway. They slammed the brakes on, reversed, and at this point I knew I'd been caught. I knew that they, they wouldn't just be doing that and reversing in that manner if I'd not been seen. So I decided to jump up, make a run for it. But as you can imagine, mm. once you've got into the base and you've been going through all these different bunkers and buildings, yeah, you get disoriented. So you, now you I where you are, and yeah. tried to make a run for it. That's right. I looked behind me and I was thinking, God, like which way did I come in? So I just went whichever way I, I felt like was going to be the way out. Unfortunately for me, it wasn't. It was um, a barbed wire fence surrounded by lots of thorny brambles and, and everything else. So I decided to jump into the thorny brambles. I thought, right, this is my only chance. Just dive straight into the thorny brambles. Hopefully they haven't seen me and I'll pass. So I'm lied there. And this is all on video, like I said on my channel. Um, I'm lied there. And you can hear the four before, you can hear more vehicles coming down the runway, and um, you can hear the car door slamming as well on these these vehicles as they get out onto the roof to look for me. 
Then as I'm laid there, I'm thinking, God, I can't stay here. I really can't stay here because now I've just made a complete fresh path through all this fresh vegetation that's going yeah. to lead them right to where I'm laid. I have no choice. I have to get up. So I made another attempt at the fence and it just kept falling back on me. It was such an old fence and an old rusty fence. It kept falling back. So I, at that point, I said, this is it. It's game over. I put my hands up. Um, I made my presence known and the military guys basically just grabbed hold of me, roughed me up. And um, yeah, they took me to where the, the, the comms tower was or control tower. And it was such a weird thing. Um, I thought that I was going to get my camera and my footage taken off me. But what I did was something quite sneaky. So when the military guy was saying, what are you doing? Why are you in here? Like, tell me what's going on, that kind of thing. I said that I'm here to make a documentary. I didn't know that this base was in use anymore. I thought that you guys were on the active base, which is just a, a few miles down. I didn't realize that this base was still in use. I'm just here to make a documentary. So he said, what about? So I explained to him that I'm really interested in the 1990 Rendlesham Forest case. And that's all I'm here for, just to talk about that, nothing else. So he, he wanted to see my footage on my camera. And so what I did was, it, obviously, if you press, if you turn the camera on, and anyone with a camera will know this, if you turn the camera on and you press right, it takes you back to the beginning. Yeah. So I, I pressed right, taking him right back to the very beginning of all the footage that I'd filmed, not the footage of me just running around through these bunkers. Yeah. Um, and obviously there it was, me saying, hi, guys, I'm here to make a documentary. And um, so he was kind of happy about that. Um, it kind of weighed up with what I was saying. I thought I was in big trouble. I thought I was going to be taken down to the guard room, arrested, and prosecuted. But then an unmarked vehicle came down the runway, and there was a guy um, in civilian clothing. He was clearly someone of power. He was clearly someone in charge of all these guys in military uniform. He said to the military guy that had just roughed me up, have you checked his camera? Yep. Have you found where he got in? Yep. Take him back, get him out. And I thought, is this some kind of a joke? Is this a test? Like, this can't be real. But he did. Um, this guy told the military personnel to take me to where I'd just come in, let me go, and that was it. I thought it was a test. I honestly thought that for weeks after, I'm going to be visited by the men in black or something. <laughs> but, yeah, it was, um, it was an experience, for sure. What I take from that is that even though that uh, the, the, the tower and that area is no longer used and it's not active, that it is still watched or it's still, uh, they've got some sort of sensors on there where they know that you're there uh, uh, and then they can yeah. react almost immediately. They obviously don't want yeah. people on that area or anywhere yeah, I near I agree there. 100%. There must be some kind of a pressure pad near the, um, near the control tower because the minute I laid on the grass that's directly in front of the control tower, that vehicle came speeding down the runway. They knew I was there. Yeah. way in advance the only other thing i could think of is if you put infrared if you had an infrared uh camera and you was able to look i bet you would have seen uh, beams of light everywhere and if you broke yeah. a beam just like a burglar you know just like a burglar alarm set up you break a beam and they know you're there they know someone's there and it's and it obviously it's set in a way that a little a little bunny out to get some grass or whatever isn't going to break it isn't going to set it off but a, a, a full-grown person walking around yeah. is and of those if you're running around in all those bunkers those beams are all going off they know someone's moving around quickly around there it's weird that they still rather than just sort of knock it down and get rid of it it's still there and i can understand from a from a point of view that the 
people who are into the UFO phenomenon that it for them it's sort of kind of a little bit of a mecca to get there and go I've been there and here's a picture of yeah. me at the control tower but um it's just also weird that uh, why don't they just do tours there why don't they make some money out of it and bring groups of people in and show them around you know yeah. some of these places that that are near military areas i know that there's a sensitivity thing as well where they don't want the 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 civilians too near to what they're they're up to but um sometimes they can be a bit uh abrupt talking about uh ufos i wanted to move on a little bit and um i wanted to ask you what your opinions were about the uh the sasquatch or the bigfoot or the the uk wild man uh stuff like that What, what are your thoughts on that so I started out like most people, you know, I, I was I was thinking, okay, people are talking of this flesh and blood creature that lives here in the UK undiscovered. For me, it can't be that. Um, the UK is just simply too small. Uh, yeah, we do. We do have pockets of civilization that are widely spread and separated by countryside, but there would be more sign of something that size living amongst us or living in the countryside. They just would, from, from my point of view. Um, so... I've come up with the idea. Well, I've not come up with the idea. I've jumped on the bandwagon with this idea. And I believe that whatever people are seeing, if it does resemble an extra, if it does resemble a Bigfoot, it has to be extraterrestrial. It has to be coming from somewhere else. And it has to be, you know, we always hear about extraterrestrials. And I think that people have this assumption that they must be the stereotypical greys with the big black eyes and large heads. But if we look through the cases of extraterrestrials, like we've got the um you know the betty and Bine hill extraterrestrials didn't look like the travis walton extraterrestrials and the no. flatwoods monster didn't look like the alagash or the pascagoula aliens they're all very very different and so i'm just thinking that if these people are seeing an, a bipedal upright walking creature maybe it's extraterrestrial because i just think that that to me sits more in my comfort zone than trying to believe that this thing is undiscovered living here off the land Mm. I, I think with the uh the, the Bigfoot, the Sasquatch, the you know, the wild man, whatever you want to call it, I think um when you just touched on something there, I'm a little bit of a believer in when it comes to people experiencing uh these beings, we look back to the UFO phenomenon and we look at you know Betty and Betty and Barney Hill, they they experienced these individuals in uniforms, which they said were very much like uh Nazis. And you yeah. think about, well, just after the Second World War. And then we move forward a little bit into sort of the 80s. And then people start talking about greys with their big eyes. Of course, Whitley Strieber, Communion, massive book. And uh, the film with um, Christopher Walken, uh, that was in the public consciousness. Everybody was talking about aliens. What were they? What was the cover of the book? It was a grey with big eyes. So that was in the public consciousness. And I think in some way, we are all playing a role here with this phenomenon where some people say it, it likes to play games and it will, will show you yeah. what you want to see. So I might be in the woods. I might experience something and go, Hey Ben, I saw this guy and he was this and he was that. And you might be in the woods yeah. and you might have the same experience, but you see something completely different because what's in your head is different to what's in my head. So our interpretations, although our experience is the same, our interpretation is completely different. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 100%. I agree with you there. Yeah. Obviously, you know, we have uh, Skinwalker and the famous case of the of the portal that opens up in the field, which was allegedly witnessed yeah. by a group of people. And they saw this big bipedal thing walk out and walk across the fields. And of course, there was another case where we had Camp Hero, which was the Montauk project, 
where they said that, that there was an experiment and they they conjured up this being which was this kind of giant hairy creature which smashed up the control yeah. room and then wandered off across the fields and there there's this uh, very grainy little picture of this little uh, gray little man that which i guess like... tie in with our theory of military bases being close by who knows like you just said there these yeah. these um yeah that's that's a really interesting way of looking at this i kind of don't have any answers for this but i think that like yourself you put yourself in a position you actually go out regular yep. into these areas and i've seen enough of your videos to know that you don't just go onto the edge of the woods you actually go into a forest or into the wooded area and you get in there and you look yep. around and you see what you can find and you're putting yourself in there to experience something you're on your own as well and it's kind yep. of like if you experience something it must be quite unsettling even if it's a little thing i was you spoke earlier about going somewhere and having a front load in ourselves and it's early in the morning and you're a bit tired and you think it might be a badger going for a little walk and for you that's a giant man killing beast that's um, hunting you but that's our way our brains work isn't it that's the way that we can conjure up these things and that's why i think that uh you've got a lot of guts doing what you're doing what i wanted to just flip this around a little bit and and ask you about the whole uh missing people thing where people go in the national forests in america and and not just america but all around the world and they just seem to just vanish they just seem to disappear. What are your thoughts on that? If you're going to try and take someone away and leave very little evidence behind, a national park would probably be the best place or at top of the list of um, of possible locations to do that from. Because whenever you hear of someone missing in a national park, I think everybody's go-to is they've had an accident. Because we know how remote these places are. We know the dangers that can occur there with fast-flowing water and sheer cliffs and you know, bad weather that can quickly set in within only an hour or two. So there's so many elements there that are life-threatening that we don't raise half an eyebrow when we hear about someone going missing in a national park. It's only now because people like David Paulides have kept record and, and brought this to our attention and said, actually, these numbers are really high and there's a lot of similarities with these people missing in national parks that can't all be, you know, contributed to natural phenomena. Now everybody's talking about this and thinking it's weird. And I would agree. I would really, really agree with that, that this is weird. It's gone under the radar for so long because, like I've said, we just assume that you go missing in a na national park, it's your own fault. You've had an accident. You've fallen in the river. You've fallen off a cliff edge. But I think there is more to it. And, I, and what a great place to do it. If you are an extraterrestrial race, you're taking people away for examinations or um, you know, rehybridization pro programs or whatever it may be, where is the number one place that you would look to take people from? It's a place where no one will question national yeah. parks. These large numbers of people that are missing from national parks, it, it makes sense if they are being taken from extraterrestrials and, and maybe even cryptids to some degree. I have a, um, I wouldn't say that uh, I'm trying to trademark this, but I have a little bit of a, a saying and it's called the washing line effect doesn't yeah. make sense at the moment but once i explain it to you maybe it will it's not a theory that i have come up with no nowhere near that it's a theory that's been out there for a long time so when we look at national forests and we look at areas of great expanse where people and not just the average person but people with either military training or they are hunters they're trackers they are people who have of skill they know how to be outdoors they know how to survive they have the gear and they go into these places 
and they simply vanish and they are either found weeks later near an area that was already searched they might find some of their clothing or they might never be found again they might have just simply disappeared now if you look at time slips and you look at people that go to places and go oh it was a lovely place the flowers were out and all the shops were it was a lovely place but the strange thing was nobody seemed to sort of acknowledge us we decided to go back and we couldn't find it it wasn't there or it was just a it was a really run down area so i don't know what happened in that those few weeks but you know classic case the the couple in france and there's lots of cases in liverpool places like that there was lots of these time slips and this happens all over the world so without waffling too much if you think of the way that we live our time stream the path that we're on which for us sadly only goes one way because if it went two ways i'd certainly run back to the 80s if it went as a motorway so it's there's multi lanes right lane upon lane upon lane and that those are washing lines and those washing lines have all got bed sheets hanging on them blowing in the wind randomly every now and again those sheets are going to touch which creates a thinning of a veil right so it's a connection and maybe just maybe and i might be way off here right but maybe that sort of uh, touching opens up some sort of uh, portal and these people that are out there in the forest doing their thing unknowingly to them they step through it it's like stepping over onto a different railway line with no knowledge to themselves they don't know nothing happens to them they don't they're not going down some uh, uh, portal or anything they just to them they're in another place they're to their life is continuing but they've just moved out of one into another the weird thing is um maybe if they do move over maybe them coming into that new time stream cancels out themselves that are already in that time stream so that person then ceases to exist but continues to exist i know it's all getting a bit convoluted but the way that i look at it is that maybe that's what's happening yeah i don't know maybe i'm way off what do you think i, I like that idea um i've spoke about something recently on the channel um that's very very similar so what i was saying along those same lines was that we always assume when we see a bigfoot when we see an extraterrestrial that um especially with the bigfoot let's just go down that that line of thinking we always assume that when we see a bigfoot that they've done this on purpose you know they've made a conscious decision that morning to come visit earth to come visit humans that's what they've done if they are coming through dimensions but what i was saying to my audience is maybe the experience is just as scary for them as it is for us because mm. like you said we all know that the people experience these time slips so what happens somewhere in let's say bigfoot land there's a bigfoot walking around all of a sudden he has a time slip he pops into our reality and the next thing he knows is that there's bald apes with rifles and guns chasing him down, screaming at the top of the lungs. He's terrified. This is a horrible experience for him. And the next thing, he disappears because he's popped back into his own reality. And now he's talking to his Bigfoot friends about these bald apes that were terrifying and he had to run away and he had to hide. And who knows, even some of his friends might say, ah, you've seen the humans. Yeah, they are elusive, these cryptids. Mm called humans but they do exist you know it, it might not be a conscious decision for them either to slip through into our dimension and, and on the off chance every now and then we see them and then they're gone i love the idea of that i really do and i do think that portals or different dimensions exist i, I really do think they do the the problem is ben now that the, the the words that we use they've been used so much when i say portal you immediately think of stargate you immediately think of the tv yep. show stargate yep. and walking through to a different time or going to you know that kind of thing when 
when what I'm actually meaning is there's plenty of people that have been in forest and suddenly everything has just gone dead quiet. All of the animals yeah. have gone quiet and, and there's no wind, there's no nothing. And it's a feeling of complete stillness. And it's a feeling as if time has stopped. Maybe that is when the, this thing happens. This is when you're there somewhere in that vicinity, there is a, a place where you, maybe it's near water. Maybe it is water. I don't know that you can step. So I, I have a question to question to that. So the guy that pops through, like you said that this guy cancels himself out once he's yeah. inside his new world. Yeah. Does, does he just settle straight into life? Like is, is everything there as he remembers it here? Or is it a new life, new people, new surroundings, and oh my God, where the hell am I? Put it this way, right? I'm going to get real deep now, okay? Let me just <laughs> let me get real deep, right? Okay, yeah. so we are living in a multiverse, right? And there are multiple copies of you. There are multiple copies of me. There are multiple copies of this conversation going on right now, okay? And each one of them is slightly different. Just slightly. I might have said some different words. Um, you might have talked for slightly longer. It might be raining outside as where on the place next door, it might be sunny. And something like that. Very sim small. But where this is going on, you don't have a knowledge that you've slipped across. Maybe I've slipped over into another reality. Right. And I'm just going about my business. Everyone's the same. Every person is the same. Uh, everybody knows me as who I am. My life is the same. I had nothing majorly changed, but, but one day I go visit somewhere and I have a deja vu. I have a deja vu. And I thought I knew that was going to happen. Or I had a dream of an event that happened and maybe it's a replay. Maybe it's in some way I'm, it's a recall. And, and I, I kind of know that this, that's already going to happen subconsciously. It's like, um, this uh, is blowing my mind because now what I'm thinking is so the guy that's just slipped through into this new world, this new yep. dimension, we're saying he slipped through, but how do we know that where he slipped through from wasn't already yeah. a dimension could, that wasn't have, his original dimension? <laughs> he could have crossed the oh uh, veil multiple times. It's like, um, put this it this way, it's, like, uh, this, um, it's similar to what um, the researcher of Life After Death, Anthony Peake, what he talks about, yep. which he coins it cheating the ferryman where upon the moment of death, okay, upon that moment of yeah. death, the moment you stop your, um, your, you know, the end of your life, that you, at that point, you slip out of our reality, our time stream, where one minute become, can become a thousand years, okay? Because you're not in our time anymore. You're, not, you're in a different reality. Your consciousness is in a different reality. And that through that... Uh, moment those few moments left of your life you completely live again your whole life those moments of um deja vu in that are moments in your life that have happened before which you remember so those little points that oh that there was a car crash i've seen that before you have seen it before you saw it in a, your previous life when you died before and you started to relive your life and then upon the moment of death in that life you start to relive the life over again so you're on this huge hamster wheel this huge turning hamster wheel of of just a, a complete looping um, existence yeah but, and what if, like i've heard this before is what if the light at the end of the tunnel isn't a light but it's the light of you being pushed out into a world again as a baby and starting all over again 
like a giant reset. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, I, I know we're getting off, way off topic here, but it's uh, it kind of no, I, I love think, I love stuff like this. I think all paranormal, all paranormal phenomenon, UFOs, ghosts, um, generally the unexplained, uh, psychonesis, all that stuff. I think it in some way, uh, life after death, ghosts, you know, all that stuff, um, mediumship is all connected in some way. If you were able to put it all together and have a machine that maybe one day will have an AI computer, a quantum computer that can th th figure it all out for us, that they will, there will be a single answer. There will be a single answer that would connect everything together. And that would be the one yeah. thing that we are so elusive from at the moment, because, you know, let's be honest, the, the, the UFO field, the, and not so much the ghost field, but a little bit, um, it's very fragment, fragmented. You've got groups of people doing their own thing and having their own ideas and the, and their own mindset. This is what, you know, this is what it is. Uh, you know, have people going around a house going, well, that's grandma uh, and upstairs. Yeah. That's definitely granny up there. He's yeah. up. Uh, how yeah. do you know it's granny? How do you know? How do you that's know right. it's granny? How it could yeah. be. How do we know what a spirit is? How do we know what a ghost is? I've experienced stuff. Okay. I've experienced stuff, which seemed to me to be a person, right? A real person in a, in an old, cut one well, it's not a castle it's more of a manor well it's a castle but it had like a manor house on it as well but i saw a person in like kind of period dress and i i to me it was a person but i, I they disappeared they they vanished and i don't know what that was i i you know three days after my father died i heard him in my bedroom and i was wide awake so is that me am i tricking myself or is there something external knowing the um uh, thinking about your mate okay you've had this happen i guarantee you ben you've had this happen you're sat down and you're just chilling and you're thinking oh i wonder what bobby's doing i wonder what oh i want ring 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 oh it's bobby all right mate what are you up to are we all connected in some way consciously externally are we all plugged into some sort of cloud somewhere where we're all sort of subconsciously in in cahoots with one another who knows yeah, yeah i've thought about this because it's always baffled me why we use ouija boards for the paranormal we use um, CE5, the you know the the meditation used to contact extraterrestrials for aliens, and you know we use tree knocking and um, whoops for Bigfoot. Like, what the hell are we doing? Like, how do we know that when we're talking on a Ouija board, we are talking to Bigfoot, or when we're meditating for aliens, we are homing in on the, the paranormal? That's always baffled me: is how these devices seem to be specific to each phenomena, when we really don't know if all these phenomena are not are connected. Yeah, that, I think that, that you um, just said. if you go somewhere, um, your your personal senses, your hearing, your your vision, your senses, your trust your gut, trust what your gut's telling you, trust what your because your gut is usually right. If you go somewhere and it doesn't feel good, then leave. If you go somewhere and you feel that you're getting somewhere, it's good, good. It's got a good vibe. Uh, you you know, trust your gut. And the problem is people have lost the ability to uh feel know that their subconscious what their subconscious is telling them and when you're somewhere like a haunted house or um for example i'm going to tell this story again to you because i haven't told it to you but my listeners are going to go oh my god not this story again but i'm going to tell you right um a long time ago i used to work in the music industry and i was a sound engineer and i had my own studio 
which was great. Company I worked for did audio duplication. This is back in the days of 8-bit computers, cassette duplication, in the old good old analog days, you know, long gone. So I, my one of my jobs was to create masters and make master those masters to two tracks so that they could go in what was called a loop bin and then be duplicated. So lots of times I would be in the studio on my own doing mixing or whatever. I was into the paranormal back then, and I thought this is a great opportunity for me to study my EVP in a practical way, not just reading about it, but doing it. So I decided to have a go at EVP. I know I had some good kit, Nakamichi, Sony, you know, Technics, some good quality stuff. And I thought, well, and I had a noise generator. Um, so I thought I'm going to plug it all in. I'm going to get my microphone. And I'm going to start asking questions and see what happens. I started this for about three months after work. I'd st spend an hour just asking questions and I never got anywhere. Never got nowhere, nothing. A few little clicks and pops and whatever, but never got anywhere. Brought my mate over one night who worked there as well. And he he was a like your friend. He was a complete um, skeptic and he was, thought it was all a load of yeah. old nonsense. So we had a couple of beers. We we asked some questions and I got I wanted to get him involved. Now, I think the, the reason for having success on this one night was we were in a good mood and we were a bit jolly as we were before. I just wanted to get, you know, anyone there, hello, whatever. And I wanted to go home and have my sausage and mash, you know. We were in a bit of a having a bit of a jolly up, not too crazy, just have a couple of beers. And it was a bit he talked treated it as a joke, like, you know, talk to me and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so yeah. we asked a few questions and I said, look, give me the mic. I'll ask some questions. And I asked a, a couple of questions. I just said, would anybody like to speak to us? And I left it sort of about a minute. And then I said, if anyone's there, you know, we'd like to speak to you. I played the cassette back and this is about six months into me doing it. I played the cassette back. Remember, this is a factory fresh cassette. This isn't something that's been recorded or raised. It's factory fresh. I just wound it on one of the winders and it's like a 15 minute cassette on normal ferric, standard ferric tape normal position straight into the, the uh, Nakamichi tape deck and I plugged in the back uh, a, a white noise generator which was just generating white noise to give some sort of background and then I had a microphone plugged into it as well in the desk so that it, I could put some my questions on then I turned the microphone off so that it was just white noise being recorded onto the cassette for about two and a half minutes so I played it back and I had my headphones on and then about 40 seconds 45 seconds into the recording there's some static clicking and popping. And I thought, that's a bit weird because there shouldn't be any of that in here because it's all shielded. And then I hear a bloke's voice and it's like, you know, like the old sort of 40s programs, films where everybody talked posh with that posh twang. Yeah. Uh, I heard a guy say yes, right? And I got a little bit, I thought, did I hear that? And then it went on for about another I don't know, 30 seconds or so. And I heard another sort of static click and a pop. And I heard a clear as a woman uh, said, please reply. And it, these voices sounded like they were in the room with me. And I took oh my, my headphones off and I wound the tape back and I got my mate. I put the headphones on and said, are you listening to that? And he listened and he heard the first voice because I saw his expression on his face change. He went completely like scared. And then uh, it went on and he heard the second voice and he's trying to pull the headphones off. And I kept them on saying, no, and listen, he took them off. And, and he completely like, he thought I was playing a joke on him. He said, I don't, he did, I don't know how you did that. It's not funny. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going home. I have enough. I'm going home. And he went home. Wow. Right. He went home. Wow. And I had, I had this tape, right. And I was, I was, 
I didn't do anything. I, I put it all away. I didn't do any more EVP research after that because it that kind of scared me because I didn't know where those voices came from. Now, it, it continues about about two months later, maybe a bit short. I can't remember the time. It's because it was a long time ago. But sometime later, I got a phone call. We used to do, when we had a lot of work on, we used to do these 24-hour shifts. And we would share the shifts between us. We'd one on, one off, you know, week on, week off. I got a phone call yeah. from this chap and he rung me one night. It was about half 11. And he said, uh, he said, what do you want? What are you coming in for? Because our door had a code on it with an alarm and you had to do the key, do the code and then open the door and the door would go beep, beep. And then you'd know somebody was in the building. He said, what, what do you want? Why are you coming in? And I'm like, not me. I'm at home watching Star Trek, mate. I'm what, what, not me. And he said, well, somebody just came in the building. I heard the door alarm go off. I've been out there. It's all locked up. So, yeah, I went, well, it's not me, mate. Oh, my God. And then oh I, got another God. Phone, I got another phone call from him. And he said, uh, mate, I'm going home. I said, what are you? What's the matter? Are you sick? No, someone up here walking around. We had uh, like these um, mezzanine flooring upstairs, which run in front of all the offices. He said, I can hear someone because the room we're in is a duplication room. So we used to sort of pre-record all the tape during the night so that the next day the person, people that worked in the factory had stuff that they could wind in the cassettes. So, um, and the room was basically a door with a big giant window that which looked out over the, the factory, the, the production plant, but the, obviously the, the, because it was all dark out there and there's only a nightlight, the, 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 um, the window was like a mirror. It was black, you know, so we had the light on yep. so yep. we could just see ourselves. And uh, he said, I'm going home. He said, there's someone in here. I don't know what's going on. And it, I ain't staying because it's, it's too, it's, I can't be doing with this. So we left. Anyway, the time went on and it was my turn to do it. And I was thinking about what he'd experienced. He didn't experience anything more after that. But he, I was thinking what he experienced. And I'm in there one night. It was about the middle of the week. It was about three o'clock in the morning. And the door was open ajar. There was the night light was on outside, which was had a shaft of light coming in through the door. And then there was the window. And I'm watching a bit of, uh, you know, nighttime TV, I think Minder or something on the TV. Um, and I'm doing my uh, doing the recording and I'm just chilling, like looking at books and magazines and just, you know, back in them days, you could smoke indoors. And um, I, suddenly the light is broken at the door as if someone would walk past the door. Oh, and my I'm God, like, no. <laughs> no. And, I, and I look at the window waiting for a person to walk past the window, the silhouette of a person. And there's no one there. And I'm like thinking, okay, so I go. And, and the thing is, that's no bug, is it? Let's face it. You're not breaking a light unless you're a human. That, the, <laughs> that, oh God, no. Well, the thing was, see, Ben, um, the, the main lights to the warehouse were down in the actual warehouse area. And I had to walk the whole length of a mezzanine floor, literally in the dark, and then down a staircase, not knowing if there's a person in the building or not. So I went oh, to the well. I walked part of the way and I ran the rest of the way and I switched all the lights on. I left all the lights on for the rest of them, my shift. Um, and then I, I just put it down to I was like, yeah, I was just tired. I was just tired, and I thought that was a bit weird. And then a few days later, one of the uh, partners, the, the brothers that run the company, they they came in extra early to do some printing on one on the printing machine that prints the cassette shells. And he was, I came into work and he says, um, who's who was last on the printer? I go, um, I don't know. He said, well, whoever it was, they didn't clean those pots because the pots had to be cleaned every time because the ink would go dry and it was a nightmare to clean. But the pots yeah. were being put actually inside the ink bucket 
where all the ink was and the top was sealed rather than the pots being on the top they'd been put inside the ink bucket N nobody does that nobody does that i thought to myself okay that's three things that have happened in this factory since we got those responses we never got anything else that was the only three things that happened but um it it does make you think what what, what you're tapping it really into. does yeah you know what what i and it's like widget widget boards people use them i mean put it this way a, a late friend of mine um who i met and i got quite pally with uh, i mean you may know him lou gentilly um he had a radio show way back in the day he's one of the originals he was he was an investigator and he was into his evp um he used to get some really weird stuff on 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 his evp he's growling and shouting and weird voices and things talking in strange languages he was um he had a radio show lou gentilia show suddenly he's not with us anymore but um he used to go to exorcisms with uh he knew a priest in philadelphia and he used to go to exorcisms not all the time but sometimes and he experienced some really weird stuff he went to one of a young guy who was experiencing strange phenomenon and uh, he didn't understand what was going on he went to the church and the church decided to send uh, a priest to do an exorcism uh, and so this guy but the priest who knew lou said will you come with me because i'm an old guy and this guy might get a bit rough so i need someone there who's a bit younger who maybe can a little bit restrain him uh, or calm him down uh, so he went to his apartment to do this exorcism and this guy was just sat on the chair normally on a just on a normal chair and the priest was doing his recital and you know whatever they do and things were moving furniture was moving in the apartment and the guy was just normal like what's going on i i don't i feel normal but why is all this stuff happening around me so whether it was poltergeist or possession or i don't know but he said he experienced some yeah. weird stuff so we don't... i w i would love to um obviously i know we don't have enough time now but i would love to come back on the show and, and talk to you about my experiences growing up because like i said that is ultimately what steered me onto this path um for answers and, and thought-provoking topics because the house that i grew up in wasn't just experienced by me it was experienced by the whole family friends of the family even like people just coming around you know to, to post things at the house experienced strange phenomena it was just a really really weird house um full of stories so i'd love to come back on at some point and share that with well, you that's good because well. yeah i was going to say um maybe we should, we should do an episode just about your experiences growing up yeah as in your house because that sounds um we could talk for another hour but i, I you know most people are going to go oh not two hours i can't do with two hours yeah yeah no, <laughs> but that's um it, it uh it, it's uh it sounds like it could be an episode on its own you know that that's uh oh, absolutely that's definitely on the cards. Absolutely. as we're getting to the end of this episode now what i was going to say to you um the summer's coming. We're going to get some warm weather, hopefully, yep. and it's going to be some nice warm weather. What's your plans for the channel and your investigations? Have you got any real kind of uh, wacky ones coming coming up? Uh, well, I'm currently in the process of working on a documentary. Um, I'm trying to get this documentary finished. I've been working on this now for about a year, so um, it's definitely moving in the right direction. I just really, really want to get this finished and um, and shared there with with everybody. One last question uh, when it comes to uh, the paranormal. Do you think that, uh, and I ask this to most people, uh, do you think that in, in our lifetime, do you think that we will we will get an answer to any of it? Not in our lifetime, no. I think when our time's up, that is when we get the answers. So, yeah, 
Yeah, there's a reason for that really quickly. Um, when my auntie was dying of cancer, um, my dad used to go visit her daily. And he told me a story that stayed with me for a very, very long time. He said that one day he was visiting his um, his sister. She was only in her 40s at the time, so still relatively young. And in the corner of the room was a table full of magazines. My dad said that she'd been in this coma for weeks. When he went into the reception area, the nurse had pulled him to a side and said, look, Gary, she's literally on her last legs now. This is it. This is the time to start saying goodbye. Um, we can't get her out of this coma. This is the last stretch. So my dad went into the room. There was Jean, my auntie Jean, laid up in bed in this coma, um, unresponsive to anything around her. My dad picked up a magazine from the table in the corner. The next thing he heard was Gary. So my dad, startled, turned around, and there was Jean, sat up in bed. Bearing in mind, she'd not, she'd not had the energy to do anything, not lift her head, nothing. But here she was, sat up straight in bed. So my dad dropped the magazine. He went to the side of the bed. He held her hands, and he said, Jean, what, what, what is it? What, what is it, love? What do you need me to get you? And she said, very calmly, I need you to calm down and listen to me. I've got something I need to tell you. Do you understand? My dad said, yeah, anything. What is it? She said, what I've learned today will take you a lifetime to understand. Do you understand me? And she said that he said that she looked him square in the eye and repeated this over and over. What I've learned today is going to take you a lifetime to understand. Do you understand? And he said, yeah, 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 I, I get it. I understand. He didn't. He didn't have a clue what she was talking about. She lied back down and she died. My dad left the room. He ran down the hallway to the reception and he went absolutely crazy with those at reception. Who the hell's had my sister out? You know, she's not in a fit state to be anywhere. You know that nobody should have been dragging her out of that room. And they said, Gary, nobody's had her anywhere she's not spoke to anybody she's not been anywhere my dad said well she's obviously spoke to somebody because she just told me this and he said that's always always stuck with him what she meant what i've learned today will take you a lifetime to understand do you understand and then she died so yeah i don't think that we will get the answers like she said until it's our time you know there's lots of things that go on in hospice that these nurses experience and you know other people in there that shouldn't be with the family that at the time but you know, they can't find them afterwards. So, yeah, it's definitely something yep. uh, to... Uh... But then once again, it's a topic you can talk about for a long time. And there's so many... It is. I was just, just going to tell you another one really quickly there, is, which is on the same lines. that You can go on and on bringing up instances like this where people have, at the end of their life have given us little glimpses into something. Yeah. So uh, some people will say, well, it's just a morphine. It's just the drugs they give them and makes them hallucinate. Well, if my dad was hallucinating... Yeah. Uh, why wasn't he waking up all the time and seeing stuff? Why just a yeah, few days? And I'll, and I'll tell died? you. And I'll tell you a really quick story. Again, I'll be as quick as I can, um, just to prove why I think it's not hallucinations. So, my dad's dad was dying, and those two were really, really close. Like my dad was a long distance lorry driver driving up and down the country, and um, in the in the trailer at the back, he would deliver mushrooms to like supermarkets and places like that. And his dad would always go along with him for the journey. So they'd be really, really close. They used to always have a really good time and a good laugh. When his dad died, they made a pact. And he said, look, well, this was when he was younger, but they basically strengthened this pact as they got older. And my dad had said, look, if you go before me, come back and give me three signs to let me know you're okay and I'll do the same. And my dad said that they'd always said this to each other throughout my dad's life, always. As it was, his dad went first. Um, and my dad, like I said, being very, very close, was distraught. One day he said he was sat at the kitchen table. There was only him in the house. And he said he had his head in his hands. He was sobbing, uncontrollably sobbing. And all of a sudden the plant on the kitchen windowsill started to shake as if someone had grabbed the base and violently shook it. It stopped my dad crying instantly. He said instantly I just stopped and I looked up at this plant and thought, what the hell is going on? There's no windows open. There's no draft coming through a door, nothing. 
He said, I stood up and I went over to this planet and I'm watching it shake violently. Every single leaf was moving. He said, I reached out to touch it. And just like that, every leaf stopped dead. He said, I didn't think of that as being the first sign from my dad. I just thought that was really, really strange. And if that was my dad, that that, that was weird. So anyway, the same day, um, we all decide to go out as a family. And my dad chooses to take us to um, Butterfly World. It's like um, a tropical world where they have these butterflies and stuff. Yeah. It's just a way of clearing the air for my dad at this point. Um, and as we get there, we come through We come through the Butterfly World. We do the whole thing. And at the end is a gift shop. And there was a rack full of pens. And you could spin this rack, and every single pen had like a name on it with a description of what that name represented. You know, it could say like Eric, outgoing, funny, um, loyal. And I was stood at the side of my dad to witness this. There was hundreds upon hundreds of pens on this rack in this gift shop. He span it, he stopped the pen, and it was Eric. My granddad's name was Eric. My dad mm. said, well, that is, that's, that's incredible. He said, I'm buying that. So he bought the pen, and he's he still got it to this day. On the way out of the gift shop, there was an ice cream truck. My dad said, right, who wants ice creams? So obviously being kids, we all got ice creams. My dad got an ice cream. My mum got an ice cream. We're all sat there. The ice cream sticks had jokes on them. So we're all reading these jokes out to each other. My dad's joke was, what do you call two happy mushrooms? Two fun guys. Well, my dad sold mushrooms for a living. And he went up and down the country with his dad everywhere doing it. And they always had a great laugh and a great time. So what a joke to be on a stick my dad and so he took that as sign three and at that point he said i've got no explanation as to why like this day do you know like the, the plant on the windowsill the pen with my dad's name on it on the rack and now this joke which is significant to him and his dad driving from down the country selling mushrooms it's just yeah crazy yep it's always the little things it's so it's all it's not the big things it's the little things you got to look out for after yep. usually after someone passes or if someone's uh you know recently deceased it's the little things you got to look for it's the little uh the, the tiny little things that uh that are slightly out of place that are usually uh that usually happen it's not somebody coming back and although it does happen um there are cases I, i'm aware of and even happened in my family where uh family members have experienced stuff but uh we could go on and on and on. I'm going to save. I'm going to save those for our next uh, yeah. for for our next encounter because uh, I think that we're going to have lots to do with uh, talking about the paranormal because we just go on and on and on. But yeah, definitely, uh, yeah. those little things are usually the things that happen. That the little, just the little things, not the big things, the little things. And and a lot of us we don't see them. We just carry on our lives and we don't notice them. But they are there. I think they're always there, and and they're always like dropping little hints to say. You know, if they are still around, you know, and and if people do, if we live our life and we go on to something else, maybe it's something that we have no understanding of. We just have no, con we don't, we can't conceive. We just don't understand until you are in that, whatever it might be. You know, we, we it's not like a, uh, you're floating around as a ghost. It's like um, buildings with, with hauntings. I think there's a lot more, there's a lot more to it than just uh than just something that people will experience. I think that, that there's a lot, if you somebody sees a ghost, I think it's got to, a lot to do with the person themselves and the phenomenon uh, is it got to be compatible for that to happen. Not, that's why not no, not yeah. everyone sees things. So yeah, uh, I don't know. But anyway, Ben, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop myself from waffling. I want to thank you um, a lot for coming on because that was a, um, an amazing conversation. And I'm sure that all my listeners and your listeners are going to really enjoy this. Um, 
yeah. definitely going to get you back and we're going to do a, a like a, a more paranormal uh, focused um, episode because this was m- more freewheeling, which I kind of like sometimes as well. But um, just yeah, let everyone I, I know. I feel like this was a, a nice introductory <laughs> to who I am. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was it was great. I mean, where can people find you? Let everyone know where they can find you. Yep, so on YouTube, uh, the 401 Files, if you just type 401 Files on YouTube, you'll find my channel there. Um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook as well. Awesome. Well, I'll put all those links uh, in the show notes so everyone can just click on them. And, uh, well, I hope everybody listened to it. Thanks again, Ben, for coming on. And until next time, talk to you soon. (laughs) 